0: Lesson 10 for May 27 through to June 2. Prophecy and Scripture. Sabbath afternoon, May 27. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to open your word today, and as we do so we recognise that some people think we're following cunningly devised fables. But we have the sure word of prophecy which comes from your word, and as we read what Peter has to say about this this week... We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that we may see your love, we may see the bigger picture, and we may see salvation as ours. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Let's read that again. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. As we continue to study the letters of Paul, one point should stand out how confident and how certain Peter is in what he is writing. We can see the same with Paul, clear and firm conviction about what they are proclaiming in regard to Jesus Christ and the cross. In the text for this week, we will see more of this certainty in Peter, and he even tells us why he has such certainty. We don't believe, he said, cunningly devised fables in Second Peter 1.16, such as those that comprise the pagan religions of their time. Instead, Peter was sure of what he believed for two reasons. First, he was an eyewitness to our Lord Jesus Christ, he says in Second Peter 1 and verse 8. But second, and perhaps even more important, because almost everyone else will not be an eyewitness – is the sure word of prophecies in 2 Peter one nineteen? Peter again goes back to the Bible, pointing to the scriptures for the certain affirmation of Jesus, especially the prophetic sections that talked about him. No doubt these are some of the same sections that Jesus referred to regarding himself in Matthew 26.54 and Luke 24.27. So, if Jesus and Peter took the Bible this seriously... How dare we do otherwise ourselves? Sunday, May 28, Jesus in the Old Testament all through his epistles, Peter writes with a sense of certainty. He knows what he is talking about because he knows whom he is talking about. And one reason is that he knows that Jesus was the one to whom the Old Testament prophets pointed. It was Peter's trust in the written word that helped him know the word made flesh, as it says in John one fourteen. In first Peter one ten through to twelve, Peter points his readers to the Hebrew Bible to the prophets of old and what they taught about Jesus, and that reads of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. According to Peter, the Holy Spirit revealed in the Old Testament two crucial truths about Jesus the sufferings of Christ, and the subsequent glories that would follow, as we just read in verse 11. These two strands can be found throughout the Hebrew Bible. Question, what do these texts together teach about what the Old Testament predicted concerning Jesus? The whole of Psalm 22, Isaiah 53:1 to 12, Zechariah 12:10, Zechariah 13:7, Jeremiah 33:14 and 15, and Daniel 7: verses 13 and 14. Let's begin with Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from my words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season. And are not silent. But you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Ashen have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. and My strength is dried up like a pot And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierce my hands and my feet, I can count all my bones, they look and stare at me, they divide my and and them, and my clothing and cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me, and my strength hasten to help me, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog, save me from the lion's mouth, and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren, and in the midst of the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all your descendants of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all your offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. When we cried to him, he heard My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I'll pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this. And Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 through to 12. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness. and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked." But with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labour of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 And I will pour on the house of David, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And Zechariah 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. And Jeremiah 33, verses 14 to 15, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And finally, Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him who was given dominion and glory in a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed." In 1 Peter to 12 Peter assures his readers that they occupy a very special place in salvation history. To them had been revealed much more than what was revealed to the prophets of old. The prophets indeed spoke to their own times, but crucial parts of their messages would not be fulfilled until the coming of Christ. Some of what the prophets had predicted had come true only in the time in which Peter's readers were now living. These readers were able to hear from these who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, truths that even the angels desired to know as he read in 1 Peter one twelve. Having had the gospel preached to them, the people knew in much more detail than did the prophets of old, the reality and nature of the Redeemer's suffering and humiliation. Of course, they will have to wait, as will we, for the glories that will follow as expressed in 1 Peter one eleven. With the first part of those prophecies fulfilled, we can be certain about the last part as well. And so to finish the day, what biblical promises have you seen fulfilled in your life? Which ones are you still waiting for, and what do they mean to you? And how can you learn to hold on to them no matter what? Monday, May twenty nine. Eyewitness of majesty question read Second Peter chapter One, verses sixteen through to eighteen. What other evidence does Peter say he has for his faith in Jesus? Second Peter one verse sixteen, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his Majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Besides the prophetic word, Peter was an eyewitness to many of the things that he preached about. Christianity, he said, is not founded on cunningly devised fables, but on real events that happened in history, events that he himself had witnessed. In the Gospels, Peter was there for many of the pivotal events in the life and ministry of Jesus. He was there for the preaching, the teaching, and the miracles. From the early miracle of the fish in Luke chapter 5 to seeing Jesus in Galilee upon his resurrection in John 21 – Peter was an eyewitness to so much of what happened question in Second Peter one, seventeen and eighteen, What event did Peter especially focus on regarding what he had personally seen? What was the significance or the special significance of that event? Beginning at verse 17, For he received from God the Father honour and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter highlights one specific eyewitness event, the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John with him to the top of a mountain in order to pray in Luke 9.28. While there with him, he became transformed before their eyes, his face shone, and his clothes became dazzling white, as is recorded in both Matthew 17.2 and Luke 9.29. He was joined by Moses and Elijah. And a voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased in matthew seventeen five Peter had seen a lot in his time with Jesus, yet this incident stands out. it reveals Jesus to be the Son of God, that his time on earth was spent according to God's plan, and that he had a very special relationship with the Father. Even with all that Peter had seen or would see, this event, which included the voice which came from heaven, as he says in Second Peter 1.18, was the one that he focused on in the letter. So to finish the day, think about what event or events have made a deep and lasting impression on your spiritual life and faith. What was it? How did it impact you? And what does it still mean to you today? Why do you think it had the impact that it did? Be prepared to share your answers in class on Sabbath. Tuesday, May 30, The Morning Star in Our Hearts 2 Peter 1.19 reads, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Question. Read this text again carefully. What is Peter saying that is so important to us, even today? Let's start Second Peter one nineteen and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Here, as we can see in many places in the Bible, such as Genesis one four and John one five and Ephesians five eight and Isaiah five twenty, a division is made between light and darkness. For Peter, the word of God shone like a light in a dark place. Some translate the word dark as squalid or dirty as well. That's why he's so clear that we need to take heed to that light, to follow it until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. We are fallen beings, living in a fallen and dark world. We need the supernatural power of God to lead us out of this darkness and to the light. And that light is Jesus. Peter is pointing his readers to a goal. Some believe that the expression, until the day dawns, refers to the second coming of Jesus. Though that's certainly our ultimate hope, the idea of the morning star rising in your hearts sounds more immediate and more personal. The morning star refers to Jesus, as we read in Revelation 2.28, and I will give him the morning star. And Revelation 22.16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. His rising in their hearts seems to be about knowing Jesus, fully taking hold of him and experiencing the reality of the living Christ in their own individual lives. Jesus shouldn't be just a doctrinal truth. He should be the centre of our existence and source of our hope and faith. So, Peter is establishing a clear link between studying the word of God and having a saving relationship with Jesus, the morning star. And, of course, with the light shining in us, we will spread it to others. As Ellen White writes in Christian Experience and Teachings of Ellen White, page 220, The whole earth is to be illuminated with the glory of God's truth. The light is to shine to all lands and all peoples. And it is from those who have received the light that it is to shine forth. The day star has risen upon us, and we are to flash its light upon the pathway of those in darkness. And so to finish today, how does your own study of the word help you to come to know Jesus better? Wednesday, May thirty-one. The more sure word of prophecy. Question: Read Second Peter one nineteen through to twenty-one. To what prophecies is Peter referring? What does he mean when he says that no prophecy of Scripture is of any By the Holy Spirit, in stressing that Christianity is not based on cunningly devised fables in second Peter one sixteen, Peter offers up two lines of evidence first. Eyewitnesses, as we read yesterday in verses sixteen to eighteen. Second, the prophecies of Scripture in Second Peter one nineteen to twenty-one that we read today. An argument he used earlier in our second lesson in First Peter chapter one verses ten to twelve. Peter also states no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Second Peter one verse twenty. In saying this. Peter is not forbidding us to study scripture for ourselves. That would be very far from the thoughts of the one who said in 1 Peter 1.13, Gird up the loins of your mind, or, as it says in the New Revised Standard Version, Prepare your minds for action. Nor would it be said by one who commended the prophets of old for their diligent searching after the meaning of the prophecies that they had been given, as we also read in our second lesson in 1 Peter 1 and verse 10. Then, what did Peter mean? The New Testament church progressed together and studied together. Christians were part of a larger body, as we read in 1 Corinthians 12 12 to 14 for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit for in fact the body is not one member but many And Peter here was warning against the kind of study in which one rejects any insight from the community of believers. In interacting with others, we can grow together as a community. The Spirit works with the community and the individuals in it. Insights can be shared, refined and deepened. But the one who works alone, refusing input from others, is likely to come to wrong interpretations, especially with something such as prophecy. In the next verses, we find a good reason for Peter to make this observation. He is writing to Christians, who have among them false prophets and false teachers, as he says in Second Peter 2 verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. And bring on themselves swift destruction. Peter is urging them to submit their interpretation of Scripture to the leading of the church as a whole. How many people have drifted off into fanaticism and error because they refuse to heed the counsel of the Spirit-led community of believers? It was a danger back then, and it remains one today. And so to finish the day. Why is it so important to be open to the counsel and advice of the Church at large? At the same time, what are the limits on how far we should go in submitting to others? Thursday, June one. The word in our lives. As we've seen, Peter placed great emphasis on the Holy Scriptures. Second Peter one nineteen to twenty one that we studied yesterday is a powerful affirmation of the importance of the Bible to our Christian experience and to the divine inspiration of the Scriptures. His point is clear in 2 Peter one twenty one. The Bible is not the product of human will human devising like other books it is a book produced through the power of the holy spirit working through holy men of god question read 2 timothy chapter 3 verses 15 to 17 how do these texts help us to understand the role of scripture in our lives and how do they enforce the truth of Second Peter one nineteen to twenty one second Peter three, beginning at verse fifteen, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked." After warning Timothy about the dangers facing him and the church, Paul gives a brief outline of the importance of scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Let's look at these three points. 1. Doctrine Doctrines are the teachings of the Church. They express the beliefs of the community on various biblical topics deemed important in the Word of God. Ideally, each doctrine should be Christ-centred and each should teach us something that helps us know how to live in accordance with, as it says in Romans 12.2, the perfect will of God. 2. Guidance Paul tells Timothy that Scripture is profitable for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness in 2 Timothy 3.16. Peter makes a similar point when he says that the prophecy in Scripture is like a lamp that is shining in a dark place in 2 Peter one nineteen, In other words, Scripture provides guidance in how we should live and in what is right and wrong conduct. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Scripture is nothing less than the revealed will of God. And three wise unto salvation when he says that scripture makes us wise unto salvation in second timothy 3:15 paul is pointing out that scripture points us to jesus salvation is built on the belief that jesus has died for our sins doctrine moral guidance the knowledge of salvation no wonder the word of god is like as it says in second peter 1:19 a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Friday, June the second. For our further thought today, we have a quotation from the Great Controversy, pages five ninety eight and five ninety nine. It is the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the Scriptures what is truth, and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow his example. We should day by day study the Bible diligently, weighing every thought and comparing Scripture with Scripture. With divine help, we are to form our opinions for ourselves as we are to answer for ourselves before God. The truths most plainly revealed in the Bible have been involved in doubt and darkness by learned men who, with the pretense of great wisdom, teach that the Scriptures have a mystical, a secret spiritual meaning not apparent in the language employed. These men are false teachers. It was to such a class that Jesus declared, Ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God, in Mark 12.24. The language of the Bible should be explained according to its obvious meaning, unless a symbol or figure is employed. Christ has given the promise, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, John 7.17. If men would but take the Bible as it reads... If there were no false teachers to mislead and confuse their minds, a work would be accomplished that would make angels glad and that would bring into the fold of Christ thousands upon thousands who are now wandering in error. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. One, what other crucial principles are involved in seeking to come to a clear understanding of scripture? Two, Martin Luther wrote that scripture is its own light. By that, he meant that there's an underlying unity in the Bible and that one part can be used to help us to understand other parts. What are some examples of this principle that you can find? 3. In class, go over your answer to Monday's question about the event or events that greatly impacted your Christian experience. What do the events have in common, if anything? What can you learn from one another's experiences? And four, if someone were to ask you how studying the Bible can deepen your walk with the Lord, what would you answer? What principles have you learned from your own experience of seeking to know the Lord Jesus through study of His written Word? inside story our mission story today comes from Ludo bako who lives in uende in the cameroon and it's titled putting god in the picture as a professional photographer i take photographs and videos of weddings and other important occasions i also film documentaries for television and photograph sporting events When I first became a Seventh-day Adventist, I wondered how I would ever keep the Sabbath. Most of the events that I covered fell on Sabbath, and I had to work these events in order to keep my job. I had a family to support, so I decided to go to church on Sabbath when I didn't have work. But when I had an assignment, I worked. However, I had no peace about working on the Sabbath, and it seemed that no matter how hard I worked, I couldn't get ahead. Someone in my family would get sick, or we would have another unexpected expense. I asked the pastors at church to pray for us. Then God stepped in. The company I was working for was bought by another company, and I lost my job. Almost immediately, people began calling me to work as a freelancer. I realized that I could have my own business. Then I heard a sermon about being faithful to God's principles no matter what. That sermon pricked my conscience. I knew that God was nudging me to be more faithful to Him. I decided that I wouldn't take any assignments on the Sabbath. I knew it would be difficult because most social events occur on the weekends, but I was determined to trust God to supply our needs. It isn't always easy. Sometimes we've had to ask the landlord for extra time to pay the rent or think of new ways to make our money stretch. But God is with us. Just when our financial obligations seemed to overwhelm us, I met a former client on the street. He had owed me money for a long time. We chatted for a few minutes, but neither of us said anything about the money. Then, as we prepared to part, he handed me the money he had owed me for years. Several months later, another former client paid me money I had long forgotten and never expected to see. I didn't earn as much as I did when I worked on Sabbath, but God is blessing in other ways. My children have fewer sicknesses and we have fewer unexpected bills. I know that we have no need to fear for the future. I try to encourage others to be faithful and I assure them that God will always provide a way. This lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.